Well, the reading and the instruction of God's Word this morning comes from Matthew chapter 26. You'll find the words of our passage in your worship folders this morning. I thought it would be beneficial, uh, since we are celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, for us to think specifically about our understanding, our doctrine of the Lord's Supper. What exactly are we celebrating when we come and partake of the elements, the bread and the wine? What are the blessings, what are the benefits for us spiritually uh, when we feast spiritually on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? And so I thought it'd be helpful for us to look at the place in Scripture where Jesus institutes or sets the foundation for the Lord's Supper. Here in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. So please listen as I read these words from God's holy word. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 29, also gives us some helpful instructions for understanding Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper here. So I'd like to read these two questions and answers of Lord's Day 29. You'll also find those in your worship folder. Question 78 asks, are the bread and the wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? The answer, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood, and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply God's sign and assurance. So too, the bread of the Lord's Supper is not changed into the actual body of Christ, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. And then question 79, why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood or the new covenant in his blood? The answer, Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that as bread and wine nourish our temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood truly nourish our souls for eternal life. But more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in his true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in his remembrance, and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. Well, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I suspect that many of you at some point in your life have experienced a last meal, a last meal. Some of you parents, perhaps before sending your son or daughter off to college in another state, you decide to take them out to their favorite restaurant to, to celebrate their departure, but, but also to spend as much final hours with them as you can. You're going to miss them. And so you take them out for one final special meal before they depart. 
Perhaps you have some relatives over for the summer. They, they spend a few weeks with you, and then it's time for them to go, and so mom uh, bakes a special meal or cooks a special meal uh, before they leave the next day. Perhaps, or sadly, a loved one is about to go home and be with the Lord, and so you enjoy one final meal with them before they depart. Those last meals are difficult. Our hearts are heavy, they're burdened by sadness, but we want to hold on to that moment and cherish it as much as we can. Well, I suspect that on the night that Jesus reclined at the table with his disciples, the hearts of his disciples must have been very heavy. They must have been burdened, weighed down. Because not long before Jesus called them to make preparations for the supper, he had once again predicted that he would die. Jesus told his disciples that he would be delivered up to be crucified, to not only die, but experience the worst possible death that a human being could encounter. Not only that, but to his disciples' horror, Jesus revealed that it was one of them, one of the twelve, one of the inner circle of disciples that would, would give him up, betray him up into the hands of sinners. So their hearts must have been heavy. Their minds must have been filled with all sorts of confusing questions. What would become of the victorious kingdom of, of Christ, the kingdom of God that, that Jesus was supposed to usher in? What would become of that? What would happen to redemption for Israel if their brother, their savior, Jesus, would be delivered up to death? A cloud of gloomy uncertainty must have hung over uh, the disciples that night as they reclined with Jesus at the table. And then, almost as if to answer their unspoken fears, Jesus shows his disciples in a very beautiful and a very tender, loving way that he himself is the, the heavenly fulfillment of the Passover lamb, that he had come to give up his own flesh and blood for their redemption, for the forgiveness of sins for the people of Israel. Tenderly, lovingly, Jesus shows his disciples that he has come to comfort their aching hearts, and he says, look, here's my body. Look, take, here's, here's my blood. Eat and drink and know that I will be broken for the forgiveness of your sins. Know that this will not be the last meal that we share together. Because we will eat again together in my Father's glorious kingdom when I return. Taste, see, let your hearts be comforted. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus instituted the celebration of the Lord's Supper to feed us, to feed our souls with himself. When we come to the table, as we're going to do this morning, what happens there is that we participate with Christ. We participate in all of his saving blessings as we feed spiritually on his body and blood. I want to unpack that, that glorious and yet mysterious reality this morning for you from our passage. And we want to notice, first of all, the foundation of the feast. As Jesus sets it down here in, in Matthew 26. When our Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body. Drink of it, eat of it, for this is my blood. He was setting the foundation for our continual 
fellowship, communion with him. Jesus was instituting the supper as a lasting remembrance, a feasting upon his body and blood. The remarkable thing is that when we come to the supper, our Lord Jesus is the host of the supper. He is welcoming us. He is calling us. He's, he's setting forth the feast for us. He's the host, but he's also the meal. He's also the meal. It's our privilege as believers, as Christians, cleansed from sin by the blood of the Lamb, to come and to feast upon him and receive nourishment for our lives. But it's precisely that kind of language, isn't it? Feasting on Christ's body and blood. That kind of language still makes us a little uncomfortable. What does Jesus mean there? Why does he institute the feast using such confusing language, we might think? What we need to see is it's with this vivid language of eating flesh and drinking blood that Jesus teaches us something essential about our Christian need. Our great need. Jesus teaches us that we need to eat his drink, eat his body and drink his blood, the blood of the covenant, to experience and enjoy the forgiveness of our sins. All throughout Scripture, especially in, in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, as well as John's words in 1 John 1, reveal the importance of our participation, our communion our intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Much like time spent with our relatives and loved ones and friends, we cannot possibly expect to have a, have a good, intimate relationship with our loved ones unless we spend time with them, unless we have intimate, close communion with them on a regular basis. We need that to know our loved ones. Well, Jesus says we have a fundamental need for personal communion and fellowship with him, with the second person of the Holy Trinity. If our faith is to grow, if our faith is going to be sustained amidst the troubles and the trials of this life, we need to have close communion and participation with Jesus. If Christ remains outside of us, if he remains distant from us in our lives, and we don't enjoy intimate communion with him, with his very body, which is broken for us, that, we, that his atoning work is really no good to us. Jesus himself says this. In John chapter 6, 53, he says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You see, we have a great need for the Son. The bottom line is this, we need nothing less than the crucified body and shed blood of Christ in the supper if we're to receive its nourishing benefits, especially the forgiveness of sins. It's very much like the food that we eat and drink on a daily basis. Just like the bread that we take in and it nourishes our bodies, we need Christ in us to strengthen our souls. Just like the fruit of the vine that, that we drink and it gladdens our hearts. We need Christ in us to set our hearts to rejoice in. We need Christ in us to strengthen us for future service and obedience to him. 
So Jesus can't remain outside of us. He can't remain distant from us when we come to the Lord's Supper. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand when he sat down, when he set the foundation for the supper with his disciples. That we need this for regular, we need this regular communi communion with him. That's one of our great fundamental Christian needs. But still the language of the supper might still confuses. How do we receive? How do we participate in Christ whose body was sacrificed for our redemption? And how do we describe what we're going to do here this morning? How do we describe that to our neighbors? Our neighbors might have all sorts of strange ideas about what we're about to do this morning. They might ask you, when you, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, are the bread and the wine changed? into the real body and blood of Christ? Is that what it means for you to participate or commune with the body of Christ? And you know, brothers and sisters, that's a very good question. It's a very important question. It's not a childish, silly question at all. In fact, it's a question that our Heidelberg Catechism deals with. This is a question that's been discussed and debated in the church for centuries, far before the Reformation. Skilled theologians have tried to inquire about how to answer that important question. Some have tended to complicate the issue. What God intended to be clear and simple, edifying for us as believers, has sometimes become unclear and complex and downright confusing. But we won't be confused if we understand how Jesus speaks about his flesh and blood here in this passage. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say that the bread and the wine become his body and blood. We know that's the case because when Jesus broke the bread and poured the wine, he himself was there with them physically whole. It's not as if part of his flesh was now being contained within the bread and the wine. He was there with them physically whole. Notice Jesus says this. He says, this is my body. Christ is using the figurative language of sacraments. He's saying that the bread and the wine signify like a sign. They represent his body and blood. You might think of an analogy like this. You're on vacation with the family. You're driving down the road and suddenly you look up and there on top of a large pole is a yellow zigzag arrow. And the kids cry out in excitement and say, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. Let's stop at In-N-Out for a burger and animal fries or some such thing. Now that sign up on top of the, the pole is not the juicy hamburger that your kids are going to be uh, munching on very soon. It's a sign that points to that wonderful food that they make at In-N-Out Burger. Well, that's similar to what our Lord Jesus intended for the signs, the elements, bread and wine, in the supper. They signify, they represent his body and blood. They're tangible symbols that Jesus chose to be holy signs and seals for us to see and to taste with our mouths, to hold in our hands. And these physical elements, mere bread, mere wine, point to the gospel. 
You're a seal of the promise of our redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Still, how is Christ present in the suffering? As I said, we need Christ in us to enjoy the, the, part, the participation with him that we need as believers. So how is Christ present with us in the supper? We want to have a biblical understanding of that as Reformed believers. And here's what we affirm based on the teaching of Scripture. We do affirm a true, a genuine, a real presence of Christ at the supper. We affirm that we truly commune with him. We truly participate with Jesus when we come to the communion table. But the manner, the manner by which Christ's body and blood are present with us is a spiritual one. Christ is not here physically. He's not here corporally. The Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus' resurrection body is currently in heaven where he must reign at the right hand of God until he returns. So the manner of our eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood is spiritual. But what does that mean exactly? What does that mean? We're often tempted to think that that means that Christ isn't truly here after all. If he's not here with us physically, then we aren't really partaking of him and his body. Maybe we just remember him and that brings about good vibes. You see, we have a faulty tendency, don't we, to think that things that are not physical are not true or meaningful. When we bite into a big cheeseburger or, or we uh, cut into a thick, juicy steak, we say, ah, now that's a real piece of meat. That's a real piece of meat. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we often think that they're somehow less authentic, less genuine. But we need to reverse our thinking here because spiritual things are just as sound as the physical, if not more so. So the wonder, the beauty of what takes place, of what's going to take place here this morning at the Lord's table is that we are going to truly commune with Christ and his body. But we're going to do that by the, by the help, the operation, the assistance of the Holy Spirit in a way that is truly mysterious to us. The Holy Spirit connects us, we who are earthbound believers. He connects us with the heavenly body of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God takes two things that are separated by space, and He brings them together so that you and I will truly commune with the body of Christ in the supper. And ultimately, we have to be humble enough to realize that that's beyond us. There's a certain measure of mystery there. But that's to be expected. Because we are the creatures of God with necessary limitations. But the marvelous truth is nevertheless this. That when we consume the bread and the wine, we actually commune, we fellowship with the body and blood of Christ by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And for that kind of spiritual nourishment to take place, the bread and the wine don't have to be changed substantially into the body and blood of Christ, as Roman Catholics falsely teach. It's 
It's only necessary that Christ be present spiritually with us as we eat and drink the elements in faith. The glorified body of Christ doesn't have to be everywhere present all over the globe in order for us to truly fellowship with him as, as Lutheranism teaches. No, we enjoy close communion with the, with the glorified body of Christ by his Holy Spirit. You don't have to insist that his body be divided again or broken again or dragged all over the globe in order to get to us. The Catechism explains this so well. Question 78. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and doesn't itself wash away sins, but is simply God's sign and assurance, so too the bread of the Lord's Supper is not changed into the actual body of Christ. With our physical mouths, we are simply munching on bread. We are simply drinking wine. But with the mouth of faith, with the mouth of faith, we partake of Christ's body and blood in a spiritual manner. So what we are really called to do, brothers and sisters, in the supper is to lift up our hearts to Christ who is in heaven and partake of him, partake of his gracious salvation by faith, which is the hand and the mouth of the soul. When we come to worship and we receive the supper, what happens is that God's spirit ushers us into heaven where Christ is seated as our advocate before the Father and there we taste and see that God is good. God is good. Well, finally, we may understand. We may understand something I would have just been saying that the, the bread and the wine and the supper do not actually turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. But we might still wonder, what's the benefit of all this for us? What's the payoff? What kind of table is actually spread before us in order for our souls to be fed? Very soon, I imagine many of you will gather with family members to celebrate a Thanksgiving feast, probably ignoring the governor's request not to do so. <laughs> when it comes to feasting, we're accustomed to feasts that are well furnished, filled with delicious food that we can actually sink our teeth into. Uh, wonderful wine or other drinks that we can actually imbibe and swallow and enjoy. And it's easy for us to see at a Thanksgiving feast what the payoff is, what the blessings are, what the favors are. What about the Lord's Supper? What are the favors, what are the benefits of feasting spiritually on Christ's body? What are the blessed results of participation in Christ's body and blood? Very briefly, I just want to mention two this morning. One blessed benefit is certainty of our salvation. The certainty of our salvation. The second is comfort for life and the future. First of all, certainty of our salvation. By using the language, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus teaches us that we can be certain, absolutely certain of the spiritual truths that are signified and sealed by the elements used in the Lord's Supper. Jesus creates a beautiful connection between the bread and the wine that we take in during the Lord's Supper and his heavenly body. And so as a result, the elements of the Lord's Supper declare this, that we are fed with the crucified body and shed blood of Christ 
just as certainly, just as certainly as we receive the sacred signs of the body and blood of Christ. The sacraments of signs not only point us or remind us of the broken body and shed blood of Christ for our redemption, they also as seals assure us that the spiritual blessings signified at the Lord's Supper are actually ours by faith. They're really ours. Those realities are ours by faith. In fact, I love this answer, answer 79 of the Catechism. It teaches us that the elements assure us that all of Christ's suffering and obedience are as surely, definitely, truly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. So certainty of our salvation is exhibited here, sealed here for us this morning in the supper. And finally, Christ also presents himself to us that we can enjoy the consolation or the comfort of our salvation through his blood. We can turn to him for the spiritual nourishment and the physical nourishment that we need in our lives. We can diligently devote ourselves to his obedience and his service. Because here in the supper, he promises us that he is preparing us for future perfection when he returns to earth. All that we need, all that we need for our spiritual health, the nourishment, the growth in faith and trust that we need, all of that is exhibited, it's promised here in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Christ comforts our souls as we are fed on him. So you see, brothers and sisters, we mustn't neglect the favors, the blessings of Christ's feast. Just as we have life in Christ through his great atoning work, we also need him to strengthen us in faith, advance us in obedience. Because we are weak people, because we are frail people, our devotion, our service to him so often falters. In the trials of life, we lose sight of God's gracious promises in Jesus. We need our promises, those promises. We need our faith to be regularly confirmed and strengthened. We need encouragement. We need renewed strength from Him. And Christ instituted, He suited the Lord's Supper for that very purpose. That we might grow all the more and more in grace. And even now, through the supper, Christ draws us around the family table to experience deep fellowship with Him and with one another. So, saints of God, come at the table of the Lord. You will partake of the richest of blessings purchased by Christ at the cross for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths signified and sealed here in the supper that we are about to partake of. Wonderful comfort and assurance that we have been washed clean, forgiven of all of our sins through the shed blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant. We thank you that we receive immense, immeasurable comfort and peace 
knowing that all these things are true and will remain true even in the midst of the, of the trials and the struggles of life. So Lord, as we come to the supper now, may we be nourished as we participate, commune, partake spiritually of your very body and blood as we enjoy this time of heavenly communion with you. Be glorified in our participation, we pray. Amen.